Mac Power Users, episode 413, Our iPad Workflows. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hello, Katie Floyd. Hey, David. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, we have had a lot of guests on the show recently talking about iPad, and you know, iPad's been in the air with iOS 11. What we haven't done in a long time is just talk through the way we're using the iPad to get work done ourselves. So I thought it would be fun to spend an episode just kind of talking through our favorite workflows and apps for getting work done on the iPad. You game? Yeah, I think so. We've been talking a lot about about this stuff, so might as well just dive in. Yeah, we thought we'd just give it a show so we can just go through it. And I think there's a lot of new content in here, so hopefully you get a couple good workflows out of the show to help you get more work done on the iPad. So you just want to dig in? Yeah, I think we should start, though, by talking a little bit about, I mean, you and I use the iPad still very differently. And I think that's going to be a theme that we see throughout the show. Although my use of the iPod, actually, the iPod, the iPad has changed quite a bit since I got an iPad Pro. I will tell you that you use it much more as a work device and as a production device than I do. While I do use the iPad for work, I think for me, it is it is still more of a lounge computer. It is still more of a consumption device that I now can get work done on, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit more on the sharp end of the stick than you are with this. That sounds kind of rude, but okay. No, have you ever heard that saying before? No, I've heard it, but I, I, I don't I don't necessarily, and I think it goes back to the to what we said before is, it's okay. I mean, I prefer to do work on a Mac. When when I have the choice of of doing work for certain type of work to pick up an iPad or to to pick up a, a, a MacBook, my preference would be to pick up the MacBook just about any time. I think your preference would be to pick up the iPad, all things considered, right? Not really. It kind of depends on the type of work you're doing. But uh, for me, I just wanted, about a couple of years ago, I just decided I wanted to get really good at iPad because it's a new thing. And uh, so I've, I've been going out of my way sometimes painfully to get work done on it. And um, and this year with iOS 11, it's so much easier for everyone. But but I agree. There's a lot of users out there that are more, that treat it more as a, a constant consumption device than a content creation device. And no matter where you are in the spectrum, I, my goal for this episode is to share how we get work done. So if, if you want to stretch that envelope a little bit, you don't have to go relearn something from scratch. We've kind of blazed the trail on some of these things. And um, and some of these workflows for me, I do in front of a Mac. I mean, that like some of the PDF stuff, in, for instance, I do in front of my Mac because uh, on an iPad, because it's easier and better on the iPad. So I guess we should just get started. Uh, but but before we get into the specific apps and workflows, uh, I think an underlying premise of all this is, uh, and the reason this is possible, is the ability to synchronize data. Yeah, because if you're not using the same data set on your iPad, on your Mac, on your iPhone, on your various devices, this doesn't work anymore. Now, you and I have taken kind of two different approaches to this. And candidly, I think one of the reasons that this works better for you um, is you have taken the the Apple approach to this and, and you've kind of gone, it started as an experiment, but I think it might be safe to say that you've kind of gone all in now uh, with with iCloud, whereas I'm still pretty heavily planted in the in the Dropbox world. And while Dropbox support is definitely better now on the iPad than it was, uh, nothing's going to quite beat using Apple's integrated built-in solutions like like iCloud. 
I think it's maybe a function of me being an aging nerd, but uh, I remember the original days where all of your devices were made by different manufacturers. And one of the things that's always drawn me to Apple is that they generally have an all-in-one solution. Uh, you know, they've kind of built the entire rose garden and they have built the wall around it. And if you're comfortable staying in the garden, quite often it means that you don't have to do a lot of extra things and, and everything just works. So when iOS 11 came out and we saw that they finally had a, a better file system and better file sharing, and and frankly, by then I had tested iCloud to drive to know enough to know that it was a lot more stable than it originally was, I decided to go in with it as this experiment. And you're right. I At this point, I guess I'm with it. Uh, I'm still occasionally reading about people who are having troubles with it, and I'm watching those posts and those stories very closely because I obviously don't want to lose data. But so far, it's been pretty great. And and we're going to do another show at some point on the various merits between these cloud services. Today's not the day. But uh, I, I just wanted to kind of establish going into this thing, you're going to need a, a reliable cloud service, whether it be iCloud or Dropbox or one of the competitors, if you want to to have these iPad workflows work, because you have to have the data, you know, and, and cloud-based is the only way to go these days, especially on mobile devices. Yeah. And I think one of the issues is we, we are kind of in a place where a lot of the, the different manufacturers are building their own different silos for syncing data. And often that works for them. Some, sometimes it doesn't work so well. So, you know, if you, you can you can have all of your data in iCloud or Dropbox, but then a lot of these various apps are now building their own syncing services. And candidly, I think they've gone this route because the the iCloud syncing services weren't good enough for them or didn't support what they needed to support or wasn't reliable or they were tired of having their support people spend all their time troubleshooting someone else's syncing solution. I remember distinctly talking to the folks at the Omni Group when they first did the Omni syncing platform. And they said, look, the reason we want to do this is we don't want when a customer calls us with a problem, we don't want to have to say it's somebody else. Because that just sounds like you're passing the buck. They wanted to control the whole monkey, the whole widget. Um, why did I say the whole monkey? I don't, I don't know. know. I was making monkey sounds last night to my nephew. Maybe it's just bled over. Starting to starting to happen to me, Katie. I'm, I'm converting to okay. a monkey. All right. But, but either way, um, so I think that's the case. But, you know, these uh, this, the smaller companies are great for one app solution. But you've got to go with one of these big solutions for your system. Like iCloud is great, but if you have to work on a Windows computer at work, it's not going to work for you. I mean, Apple just really doesn't care that much about making this stuff work on a Windows computer. So Dropbox really is your only answer if you want to go multi-platform. But like I said, let's save that for another day. But, but you know, just getting started, you need a reliable syncing system for your data if you're going to do this kind of stuff. Now, let's talk a little bit about iOS 11, because we were all aghast when iOS 11 was was previewed. Um, it's It's been about six months ago now when, when we first saw it come out at WWDC, because iOS 11 seemed to deliver on everything, or maybe not everything, but all of, hit so many of those those dangling issues that we wanted to see with iPad. We got things like drag and drop, we got multitasking. Um, iOS 11 seemed to address many of those issues for us, it's, and it's not perfect. Um, and now that we've got it, we're, we're starting to see some of the issues with implementation. 
but we got a lot of these features with iOS 11 that I'm sure Apple is going to continue to refine on. So let's let's dig in with a little of those iOS 11 specific things we got. Um, maybe we can start with with drag and drop support. Um, this was something that was introduced by iOS 11, and Apple has has gone out of their way to implement it in a lot of different ways. So, for example, you know, if you drag and drop a contact, if you drag and drop it onto an email, you'll get a, a V card. If you drag and drop it into the Maps app, you'll get um, uh, the address will pop up and populate so that you can um, send data to the Maps app. It, you know, different. They, they've done a really good job of, of trying to give you the information that it thinks that you need when you drag and drop. Yeah, I, I think for I'd like to take a minute to pat Apple on the back for this, because I think as podcasters, it's really easy to point out everything they do wrong. And um, with drag and drop, it took them a while to release it. Everybody thought it was going to come out a year and a half ago, but it came out this year. But when they did release it and you start using it, you realize that there's actually a lot of intelligence in here. Because one of the fundamental problems with drag and drop is you're going to have one source of data from an application. Let's say it's a song from the music app or a pic, you know, and they have different types of data about that file, whether it's the name, it's the cover art, the actual audio file. And then you're going to drop that in some other application. And how do we intelligently and predictively give the user the type of data they want when they drag something out of app X into app? app Y and the system they've done isn't perfect, but it really attempts to solve that problem. And I think it does overall a very good job. And we're going to talk about some of the specific drag and drop workflows we use throughout the, uh, the show. But like, for instance, one of the ones I use every day is in the morning, I go through my mail and I have uh, OmniFocus open on the right side of the screen and Apple mail up on the left side of the screen. And it is trivial for me to drag an email over to the OmniFocus inbox and create a task out of it. And then it creates an embedded link that works on my Mac or my iPad uh, so I can get back to that email. Then I can archive the email. So, you know, if someone sends me an email asking me to do something and I know I'm going to create a task out of that email, I just literally drag it over with iOS 11, create the task, then archive the email and I'm good. And that's something that uh, was very difficult on the iPad prior to iOS 11. Well, and what you saw is you saw a lot of companies like the Omni Group having to create workarounds like emailing tasks in, but a lot of companies didn't. And so now Apple makes it easy to transfer data back and forth between applications with drag and drop. And, you know, the the better app developers tried to figure out a, a way around these implementations, and now you really don't have to. And like when I was planning this Europe trip, I would go in Safari and I'd see a bar I want to visit. I just drag it into an Apple note and I created a hot link right in the Apple note to the web page. I mean, it was just remarkable to me uh, using it, how predictive it was and good at, at figuring out my intentions. And that's what I like seeing. You know, I like seeing the iPad kind of add something new and it's not like your drag and drop on the Mac because the Mac didn't have to make those conversions. And uh, it's really quite a good experience. So if you're using iOS 11, you haven't experimented with it, my recommendation would be open Apple Notes and then open whatever app you want on the left side of the screen and just drag things into it. Even if you're not an Apple Notes user, this kind of gives you an experience of how it works. Calendar events, you know, emails, web pages, there's almost anything you can drag into Apple Notes and it gives you a good starting spot. Uh, next on the list is multitasking. And this is another one that... We, we kind of had before, but not very good, and it's much better now, so long as you can get to the app you want. 
Yeah, that's true. I, I think um, we're still in early days of, of multitasking on the iPad. It's it's definitely gotten better. I think it is still a little confusing. Um, I was trying to explain multitasking to uh, a more casual iPad user over the holidays and um, was having a difficult time doing that, you know, explaining, well, sometimes you swipe over and sometimes if there was an app that you put there before, it's still there. And then you can grab an app and drag it on top of another app and it will pop over into a window. But sometimes that works, but sometimes it doesn't because it depends on if the app supports it. Um, and then sometimes the apps will stay paired and then you can group them together paired. And then sometimes you have to unpair them, but not always. Um, it's still a little bit of a hot mess, but it's better than what we've been not having any kind of multitasking. Yeah, I, I'm going to put a link in the uh, show notes. It's an it's a um, it's my home screen. In fact, we'll talk about home screens at some point. But I've literally put all of my apps and folders in the dock at this point, And that makes it very easy to multitask. Uh, a little bit extra navigation, but I can access anything I want. And that, for me, was a big change, which is funny because what I've done is turn my iPad screen into a Mac screen, in essence. But uh, but it works. Do you? I know you put a link in it, but do you have multiple folders in your dock, like your, your four named folders, your information, your fun, your productivity folders? Or did you just stick one folder that you call apps in your dock? No, my four main folders, the uh, the work, play, you know, work and uh, uh, fix and learn uh, folders. So the big four folders are there. And then I've got room for a couple of the key apps that I use every day. And that's it. And the the rest of the screen is blank. Now, do you have as many applications on your iPad as you do on your iPhone? Because it seems to me like it could be very difficult to find applications now. The um well the the initial view in the folder on the iPad gives you more folders than the than the iPhone more does. more applications you can you can view more than you can in the iPhone yeah you can put sixteen on that main screen which makes it important even more important to organize within the folders maybe not necessarily successive screens but definitely the first screen of a folder makes it more important to organize and I make a point of getting the ones I use most in those first sixteen on each view. And that's fine. And, and honestly, that's about as far as I need to go with it. So if I want to get, like, if I want to open up Omni Outliner, I just click on the Make folder, and Omni Outliner is in that first 16, and I just drag it to the right side of the screen, and I'm multitasking. It's that easy. So it's it's not bad. Uh, but that's the way it works. Is if you put it on the home screen, it's actually more complicated because you've got to get to that which you can't with the simple swipe up that you can uh, if it's in a folder on the dock. So, you know, you do the short swipe up from the bottom and that gives you your dock. And if you've got folders with your main apps in it, then you can just access them from within those folders. Because if you tap on the folder, it's still in the dock view, according to the iOS 11 um, parlance. So you can drag an app out of there and open it into the multitasking mode without having to exit the current app you're in. Yeah, I have not yet gone so far as to put all of my applications in the dock, but I don't really see any other way around it unless Apple will get better about allowing me to use Spotlight when I'm inside an application. Yeah, I wish they would. Uh, one of the things, I think I said it on the show, but I know I wrote about it, was I always felt like that swipe, the full swipe up when it gives you the spaces view and the control center and everything. Yeah, should should give you spotlight, but it doesn't. Exactly. The very top of the screen, there's space even for it there right now. If you just put spotlight in there and you could drag apps out of that, then I wouldn't have to do this crazy dock look. 
But they, uh, at the same time, how many apps do you really need to get work done? I mean, some people listening to the show only need six or seven apps to get work done. They can just put them in the dock and they're good. But because I do so many different kinds of work, as we're going to learn throughout this show, um, I actually need more than will fit in the dock uh, for my multitasking access. And then the third, because I do want to get into these workflows, the third thing I want to talk about with iOS 11, which is something that doesn't come from Apple, but it's something very notable for anybody listening to this that wants to use their iPad to get work, is the explosion of apps that are, are what I will call, for lack of a better word, shelf apps. Have you played with any of these, Katie? You know what they're about? I do. I do know what they're about. Uh, and I've I've, I've kind of tried to avoid using them because I'm like, I really want to be able to do this with, with what's built in, but they have a lot of functionality. I, I always kind of wondered why Apple didn't build this in themselves. Uh, but the shelf app is, is basically like a, a little holding spot, like a little place that you can stick something and then go back and get it in a minute when you need some place, when you've decided what you want to do with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of this and the fact that Apple didn't put it in, I don't care. I, I think I'm using the heck out of this feature. So, uh, the two that I would recommend looking at is Yoink with a Y. And there's a Mac app called Yoink. They made a version for iPad that's very good. And the one I've been currently using, at least for the last month or so, most is Gladys, G-L-A-D-Y-S. Um, I don't really care for the icon for Gladys. It looks like kind of like an alien head with old-fashioned secretary glasses on it. I'm, I'm just not, you know, and I'm that weird that the, the icon, because it is in my dock because I use it so often, bugs me a little bit, but it's a really functional application. So the way this works is you pull it off the dock and put it on the right side of the screen like a typical multitasking app, or even better, the way I use it when I'm truly multitasking is I pull it off the dock and I put it in the center between the two open applications. So uh, let's pretend I've got Safari on the left and Apple Notes on the right. And then I pull Gladys up into the center divider between them, and then she becomes a floating app, Gladys does. And I can just swipe it off to the right or the left side of the screen with my finger. Uh, the use for this is it's a shelf. Just like I said, you can put almost anything on it. You can put image files. You can put text snippets. You can put links. Just drag them into Gladys. And Gladys, I, I've actually given it. A, it's a she to me because, you know, they've done everything. Yeah, like Hazel. All right. And uh, so I put stuff in Gladys and then it, she just holds it for me. Uh, as a good example, I uh, sent my monthly bills out from my iPad this month. Usually I do it from my Mac and I've got this very complicated, well, it's not that complicated, but I've got a snippet that I use in a text expander when I fill out the subject line and the email that, that goes out to the client. And it's a web form that this is done from. Uh, it, it takes the current month and it says, you know, December, 2017 or January, 2018 bill. And then it hits the tab key, it goes to the next line and it does a fill in uh, asking me the name of the client. And then does a whole bunch of other stuff. But by and large, it's really a group of text snippets that I just needed to use repeatedly. Um, and I had done some very custom text for the end of December because I send the bills out early. You know, it's a long story. But uh, anyway, I was doing it on my iPad and I decided the best way to handle this was for some of the longer snippets of text rather than make text expander snippets or um, uh, iOS um uh, text expansions, you know, the native ones, I just put so, some of that text into Gladys notes. And then I had some images I wanted to use too. And that's a whole nother story, but uh, having the ability just to pull that floating window up or keep it locked on the right and just drag the text into the web form was very fast and it was great. And that was just one example. Another way I use it is like when I'm putting together 
an email to a client and I've got files from two or three different sources on iCloud, uh, I may just drag them onto Gladys and have her that shelf to hold those files. And then when I'm done, I can open the email. I can just get all of that stuff out of there in one swoop, which is so much faster than, you know, manually uh, hunting and pecking to each one as you do it. So uh, there's just, if you have a shelf app, you're going to find uses for it. Uh, one of the things I like about Gladys and Yoink is they continue to add new features. Gladys has the ability to turn everything on yourself into a zip file. Um, you know, there's just, you can rename them there. Some of these apps are very powerful in terms of getting you additional functionality. One of the things Gladys does that I really like is uh, she can use iCloud Sync as a back um, background sync. So if I put stuff on the shelf on my iPad and then later go to my iPhone and I didn't take it off the shelf, it's still there for me. I think you should try this stuff, Katie. It's super useful, even though Apple didn't add it. No, I think I will. I just I wanted to give myself more time with iOS 11 to see if I could do it without, you know, because a lot of times we use these third party hacks and these third party tricks, you know, using Gladys and these types of tools. And then either they go away or they aren't updated. I, I really wanted to use, I guess, for lack of a better word, the native, you know, multitasking experience on, on iOS 11 um, and and hope that it would work. But it it seems to seems to be not working as, as well as I would like it to. <laughs> well, it, it just it just adds, you know, like I said, just putting a shelf on the, an iPad, a, a touch device makes almost more sense than it does putting it on the Mac. In some ways, it's a desktop replacement. You know how on your desktop on your Mac, quite often you'll put files there temporarily just so you've got access to them for a day or two? Uh, that's that's the function that Gladys or Yoink can serve for you. Yeah, I think you just have to be careful not to overdo it because you can get too much stuff stuck on there, just like you can end up with a desktop full of craziness. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends at Casper. Casper is the friendly company focused on sleep, and they're dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You know, I sleep on a Casper mattress every night, and I love it. You spend a third of your life sleeping. If you spend a third of your life doing anything, you'd want to make sure it's as best as it possibly can be. And that's why you need a Casper. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans with engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. It's got all the right support in all the right places. So what goes into making a Casper mattress so comfortable? They combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the United States with their breathable design that helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. And normally when you buy a mattress, you go into the store, you lay on it in this weird public place for a couple minutes and you make a decision. It's much better with Casper. With Casper, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. Casper mattresses in my house are like tribbles in Star Trek. They multiply. We got one, then someone else slept on it, and they wanted it, and now we've just got them throughout the house. I love getting a new Casper mattress. It comes in a box. I carried my queen mattress up my stairs by myself. It's awesome, and when you open it, it just expands, and it's on your bed, and you're ready to go to sleep. So start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. 
you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash MPU and using MPU at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. So that's casper.com slash MPU. Get some great sleep with the offer code MPU and save $50. We thank Casper for all of their support. So we've talked about some of the big picture stuff about iOS 11. I want to talk a little bit about how we're using specific categories of apps. And I think a good place to start is email. You know, we both talked about uh, in our New Year's resolutions show how we have kind of fallen behind a little bit uh, on email. And it's something that we both want to work on this year. I still do a lot of email from the iPad um, the, the Apple email app is, is not the best in terms of, uh, features and functionality, but I still, still find myself coming back to it time and time again, uh, for nothing else than it's, it's the built-in app that, that seems to work best for me most of the time. But I know you've done a lot more experimenting than I have, um, with other email applications. I've been trying to use some, some web services to supplement Apple mail, but I'm curious to see how we're both handling this. Yeah, just to start out, my general modus operandi for mail applications on the iPad lately, um, if, if you recall, about a year ago, we did a show on on mail, uh, iOS mail clients. And at that point, I was doing this thing where I would rotate. I would use one for two weeks and then switch to the next one for two weeks. And I got a bunch of data and we we talked about it all in that show. I think my general opinions of those apps haven't changed much, but what I've been doing now is Apple Mail is the foundation of my mail system. And the first thing I'd like to say is I don't think Apple Mail is getting enough credit. Uh, I listen to other podcasts and everybody's trashing on this application. It's pretty solid. I mean, it, it. I never really have crashing problems with it. Search is still a little slow. But overall, uh, for someone like me who's got multiple email accounts, it does a lot of the things I need. And I would argue, we're going to talk in a minute about web services, that you can actually improve Apple Mail with web services. Um, but so, but just as a basic foundation, I've always got Apple Mail running because I feel like can, I can always depend on it. Um, some of these applications I'm going to mention in a minute, and I'm looking at you, Airmail, do silly things like say that they sent an email when they haven't. And I can't have that in my life. You know, it just doesn't work. Uh, but what I do now is, is I switch between um, uh, Spark, Airmail, and Dispatch are the three big ones, but I've also tried Outlook and some of the other, whenever there's a new hotness in the email space, I'll try it. And I'll, I'll, I'll set up my accounts on it and I'll use it for two or three weeks, but I won't use it exclusively. I'll still always have Apple Mail as kind of like my security blanket. And that's what I've been doing. So I feel like I'm still pretty current on these applications. Right now, for instance, I'm using Spark. And when I do my morning email audit, I do it in Spark. I mean, I, you have to love the name, right? Yeah, um, I know you do. Yeah. Um, but the, um, and I got a very funny email from them when they first <laughs> released it. <laughs> I'm like, it's okay. You can use my name. It's all right. Um, but the, uh, in fact, that's kind of cool, right? But the, um, but, but none of them are just blowing me away so much that I want to give up the security blanket of Apple Mail. Um, so, so, um, let's, let's hear a little bit about web because I know you're using some web services too. Let's talk about that. And then let's talk about the nuts and bolts of how we do email. Right. Well, the, the two big features that, that I want to see come to, to Apple mail is probably, um, better filtering and, um, the ability to, to send emails later, because I do, uh, a lot of email during non-business hours that I want to send out during business hours or 
if I'm if I'm thinking about something now, perhaps now is not the most appropriate time to send out an email. So for example, if I'm meeting with a client or if a client has just made an appointment, I want to send them a confirmation like 48 hours before the appointment or 24 hours before the appointment as opposed to now when they've made the appointment. So, but, but I also don't want to have to remember to go back and, and send that email or do those types of things. Now, uh, again, a lot of this would be made easier if I had, if I, if I just paid somebody to do these things for me, but, but I want to do these through automation. So a, a couple of tools that I'm using um, on, on the Mac, there, there are email clients that will allow you to, to send emails later and to defer emails, whether it's um, Mail Act On or Mail Hub or those types of things. But your Mac has to be on, which usually isn't that big of a deal for me. But if I'm on my iPad, there's really no no big ways to do this. I've been using a, a web service called Boomerang that works with with Gmail uh, that will that will allow you to do this. Now the, their free version is limited to I think like ten emails a month, which for me has usually been enough. And it's something that I'd love to pay for, but unfortunately the the cost goes up. Um, pretty significantly for um, if, if you're a Google Apps user, which I am. And then, of course, the other big service that I'm using um, is, is SaneBox to to help deal with filtering, you know, a lot of those those messages. So those are the two that I'm using to supplement Apple Mail. But if anyone knows of a better um, scheduling type service, uh, I use Boomerang because I use um, Google Apps with my business, and that's that's built in what works with that. Yeah, I am. Um... I, same box is what I was thinking about as well. I, I feel like a lot of the features in these third-party apps that pulls people to them are features that I get with my Samebox subscription. Like the snoozing works with Samebox, and it works across all um, all app all email applications you use. Once you set up Samebox, it's a cloud-based thing, so you don't need a third-party app, which in my mind is is kind of better, frankly. And you know, I don't want to rely on. Uh, an application to do it. And some of these applications do it, but then you have to have their version of the application on all your devices, whereas Samebox, it just works everywhere. And I, I don't think they're an ep- a sponsor of this episode, but full disclosure, sometimes they, they are. are. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other thing that Samebox does for me is the filtering, which is really great. Um, you know, when you do filtering, the, your, your inbox is already kind of under control. So using Apple Mail doesn't feel as painful. And then, like, another thing they do is that those um, sane reminders, which is, I think, the unsung feature of that. If you listen to any ad spot I've done this, I always talk about sane reminders because it's so useful. Like, one of my workflows for email is I have a lot of automated emails I send out to clients. Um, And, like, for instance, uh, when I do contract edits or when I'm doing annual minutes for a corporation, uh, workflow actually generates the email for me and sends it out through Apple Mail. And I've, in essence, kind of created a monster um, Frankenstein combination of text expander and a file attachment device. And it does a bunch of things. And I guess if you want, I can go this deeper, but or maybe we'll do a show on it later. But when I send out that email, not only does it send the email to the client and do the attachments, it also goes into the BCC field and adds a sane reminder for me, which then, in essence, creates a reminder for me or a task management tool. Um, and that stuff can all be done fine on the iPad with iOS. That's one of those things where I think sometimes it's easier for me to open up workflow on the iPad than it is to um, to go over and, you know, jump into a different application or, or try and do it on my Mac. Yeah, I just got to say, Dimitri, Thomas, if any of you are listening to this, um, add the ability to send deferred emails with SaneBox. So that's not really what they do, but it'd be great. It would, it would make it my everything program. 
Yeah, we should send a note to them. They listen to us sometimes. We should. We should. Well, that's why I just did. So note sent. Um, the other thing that you can do, depending on the, the type of service that you use, if you're using a web-based mail service, um, if this, then that, and Zapier, do we decide? No, it's Zapier. Like happier? Uh, yeah, I would say Zapier. I think yeah. Zapier is right. They, they call them Zaps, I, I believe. Yeah. I think it's Zapier. Um, they have the ability to integrate with some web-based services, notoriously Google, but I'm sure there's some others that they can integrate with as well. We talked earlier about the cloud services, but also web services are super important, I think, to people that want to get serious about productivity on iPad. And, you know, a lot of those web services will do in the background for you what your Mac would do if you were sitting at your Mac. It's a little more fiddly, I think, but it can work. Um, so, so email in general, the way I manage email on my iPad, uh, I, I do a lot of email management on the iPad. I like working on the iPad. It depends on what app you're going to use. So I'll talk about Apple mail since it's the one I use the most often, um, is just in the morning, I just go through and audit what's come in for the day. And I use a lot of the same box, um, deferring, or I use, um, uh, I do responses right there. Um, I like to use and a common theme you'll hear through today's uh, podcast is Dragon Anywhere. If I've got a long email response, I'll use Dragon Email to dictate it. Um, and then I can use the Grammarly keyboard uh, to check grammar and then put it into the email to respond. If it's a shorter email, I can just use the, the dictation tool or in a, or I can just get the keyboard out and use the keyboard on the iPad. Um, one of the things I like about Apple mail is inline replies are very easy and strangely, they're not in a lot of these other applications. So, uh, I can do my inline replies and get the email out. Um, the place where Apple mail or just iOS mail falls down is if you have a massive volume of email every day. Um, I, I still think the email applications could do a better job of, of bulk management. There are tools in them, but th there aren't always complete tools. How do you determine, because I, I know you have a couple of different email apps. You've got Spark, you've got Airmail. Why can't I say that? Airmail um, uh, and Dispatch is, is one that you, you keep coming back to. Do you just go through phases and you'll use one every once in a while? Or do you have like different, when you sit down to do a different task with a different email, you, you pick a different app for that? Because th that's the beauty with, with IMAP or Google, which is an IMAP-ish type service is that the emails do sync, although I will admit that I have had issues with my emails not syncing as quickly as I would like them. But, you know, regardless of which email application you're in, supposedly after it's been opened and synced long enough, all of that email information will sync and you'll be looking at the same information. Yeah. So this is where you get to hear why I'm a little crazy, right? You know, I, I part of the way I pay for my shoes is writing about this stuff. So I want to always be using different things. But the other way I pay for my shoes is being an efficient attorney. And I want to make sure that I don't, my geek side doesn't get so involved that I don't get my work done. So the, what I've kind of evolved toward is with email apps, and this is kind of true with most of these categories of apps. When I have the tried and trusted uh, app, I, I consider those the AM apps. I know this sounds silly, but like I go to Starbucks quite often in the morning, I get up in the morning, get on my bike, go to Starbucks and do a bunch of the morning processing stuff. So I'll use all the, the trusted apps for that. So Apple Mail is the AM app and, you know, dragging emails over to OmniFocus always works solidly, blah, blah, blah. And the afternoon, I will switch over to the other apps. So like when I when I right now, because I'm using Spark as my alternative in the afternoon, I'll be using Spark on my iPad in the morning. I'll be using Apple Mail. 
This isn't something that everybody needs to do. In fact, there may be not another person in the world that needs to use two different email apps, but at least that gives me a little insight so I can tell you when I come across one that in the PM is so good that suddenly it becomes the AM app. Does that make sense? That's, and then you're doing that because the morning is, is your more precious time. It's your more productivity time for, for lack of a better word. Exactly. Get up early, get my work done in the afternoon. If I'm fiddling around and, and even just trying to get real work done in the afternoon, I use a, an alternative app. It's a time to test it out. And that way I force myself to try the app. You know, the, it's just a, it's just an artificial way to get myself to use the other app. So when I do my evening email audit on my iPad right now, I'm doing it in spark. The way I generally do email, this goes back to like show number one, is I get up, I do email first thing in the morning. I usually do it right before lunch or right after lunch, and then I do it like around quitting time. And that's the only time I'm really in email. So Spark gets the afternoon one, and Apple Mail gets the morning one. And if I'm on my Mac, that's a different thing. Now, are you using different email applications? And I I realize this is our iPad workflow show, but just curious, are you using different ones on your iPad versus your, your iPhone? Uh, no, Okay. no. When I like, I'm trying spark now it's installed on all my iOS devices. All right. And then like in a month or so, I'll switch it to airmail or whatever. You know, there's always some new ones coming out. So I'm just trying to keep up with these things. But, but you're, you're right though. The web services, if you want to spring for a same box subscription, you can add a lot of power to Apple mail. And then maybe you're not as interested in these other apps. But if you don't want to do that, you know, there are apps that have a lot of those features. It's just, I, I'm not sure they're as good. All right. Uh, You want to talk about task management just for a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you and I have have long been OmniFocus users, and we've had other um, guests on the show that have talked about other task management apps, which I'm always intrigued and happy when they do, because I feel like sometimes we tend to get a little skewed uh, towards OmniFocus because that's what what you and I use. And full disclosure, they're, they're also a sponsor of the show. But I know that, you know, Stephen came in and he talked a couple episodes ago about Remember the Milk. You know, that's not one we've heard about in a while. Uh, and Todoist and uh, things seems to be making a big comeback now. Um, and, and all of those applications have have iPad apps. But you and I have stuck through with OmniFocus for a long time. Yeah. And and to tell you the truth, I do try those apps out. Same thing, like the mail stuff. I Like I, I use things for about three weeks uh, one that first came out the new version, they they were nice enough to send me a code and I, I gave it a shot. And I just want to see what's going on out there and I want to see other ideas. One of the things I kind of learn from those sometimes is I see workflows in those apps that I can use in OmniFocus. Or, I mean, I'll be honest, if I, if I find an app that is way better at getting my work done, then I'll switch to it. I don't, you know, it's not, I'm not beholden to anybody. Uh, but OmniFocus always for me works out as the best. It's the thing I like about OmniFocus is that it's just so flexible. Like I I've entirely changed the way I've worked with OmniFocus the last couple of months and I'm going to have to write that up. Maybe I'll even we'll do a show on on task management again cuz I've changed a lot of my workflows. But um and and I was able to make those changes without changing apps, which to me is a is a good thing. But I just wanted to talk about OmniFocus and iOS 11 and we're not going to do a lot on it because it is a sponsor and I don't want everybody to feel like, you know, I'm just jamming this down their throat again. But it's really great. Um so with iOS 11, the the one of the things I really like is the interaction with with Apple Mail. I talked about that workflow earlier. When a mail comes in, you just drag it in, it creates a shareable link and it works on iPad or iPhone. And that solves so many problems for me. 
Uh, I don't have to send out a magical email anymore. I just drag it over and I've got it right there. Um, have you used uh, OmniFocus with any of the other iOS 11 improvements? I have. One of my favorite features is that it's always been very easy to get information into OmniFocus. And um, one of the things that I used to do is I used to have the uh, the reminders list automatically filter things into OmniFocus. And just whenever I added something to my, uh, I use Siri quite often to add things to my reminders list. And that would just automatically by default go into OmniFocus because I, I had OmniFocus check my reminders list. Well, now with with Siri features that you can now uh, connect with, third parties can now connect with Siri better, um, you can now much more easily by voice specifically add tasks to OmniFocus, specifically add tasks to specific projects, context, do all of those types of things now with Siri, with your voice. Um, I've been able to turn off that feature and really put into OmniFocus, in, in my mind, things that just, just need to go to OmniFocus. Because sometimes I'll add things you know, to a quick list of like things I need to do this morning, things I want to do today. And I really don't need those types of things in OmniFocus. You know, they're they're more like like checklists or, um, you know, something that I would use a post-it note for. Those types of things I like having in reminders because, you know, they're quick, they're easy. I can look at them and, and check them off. I, I don't need to have a full-blown project in context and those types of things for almost what I call these throwaway to-do lists. I, I don't want those in OmniFocus, but I do like having those in Apple reminders. Um, it's really changed the way I use it to the extent that I can use it now much more um, productively by voice. Just a couple more points on my task management on iOS. Uh, because it's on an iOS device, the iPad, I find that I do I enjoy doing task management more on my iPad than on my Mac. It's just, there's something about it, like sitting in a comfortable chair and just kind of getting through your email, getting through your task list in the morning. Uh, and just, you know, kind of getting yourself set so you can get on with the day, it really lends itself to using your fingers and an on-screen keyboard. It just, you know, because there's not a lot, of, it's not like you're typing a thousand words into your task manager. So this is one of those things where if you want to get work done on your your iPad, this is a great entry point. And whether you're using OmniFocus or whatever task management app that you prefer, they're all doing a good job of implementing this. But just a couple more things on drag and drop with OmniFocus. In addition to dragging emails in, I also will drag um, actual documents into OmniFocus because now with the Files app, it's really easy. Like I do, like I said, I'll, I'll review a document for a client. I may drag it in as an attachment to an OmniFocus task. Uh, another thing that I do with drag and drop with OmniFocus a lot is inside the app is I drag and drop um, tasks, you know. So when you're in the app, a lot of my apps are sequential, you know. When someone gives me a project to form a new company, there's this long list of things I do with a template in OmniFocus where, you know, I, I hit the workflow. Uh, I guess I should mention that real quick. I'll come back to that point in a minute. But I create this this uh, the sequenced list of tasks that I need to do, but then maybe the client will send me an email that's got some additional information that I need to add in the middle of the process somewhere. Well, when I first add that with the drag and drop, it'll put it at the end of the project or I'll put it in my inbox. I can just drag the task right into the project and place it in the project where I want it now. So I get to that at the appropriate time. Um, one more point on task management, and then I'll call it a day on this, is um, iOS... Uh, and OmniFocus and Workflow are a great combination. So if you're using OmniFocus as your task manager, uh, watch that video I did on the um, the OmniFocus video field guide or 
find somewhere, learn how to make these templates because they're so powerful. No matter what it is you do in your life, there are some things you do over and over again as projects. And with me, I just tap the workflow icon on my iPad. I tap one icon in workflow and it runs the script for me. It'll ask me the name, you know, relevant fill-in name so it gets everything customized and create the project for me. And now they've even got the ability to create the project in a destination folder of your choice. So like anything that happens in my life, I mean, I would I would say more than half of the tasks in OmniFocus are created automatically for me. Uh, and that's all done on my iPad. Um, so uh, that's pretty helpful. <laughs> I think it's easier to do that on my iPad than it is on my Mac. Anything else we need to talk about with with task management? I know it's been pretty OmniFocus centric. And... Yeah, I feel like we've we've done too much. Let's just leave yeah. it there. Right. And we'll, we'll, I think this may be some of this stuff may be expanded into bigger shows. We can go into these workflows greater detail. In fact, let us know the ones that you're super interested in. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the Fujitsu ScanSnap. The best way to get all those documents you've got around your house into your Mac. Just recently, I heard from a Mac Power user listener with an email who said that she had been listening to the show for years and hearing me talk about Fujitsu ScanSnap, and she finally got one this year for Christmas. She couldn't believe how quickly she was able to get all those boxes of documents out of her life and digitally into her computer. I had to laugh a little bit because, gang, it really is that simple. Just buy a Fujitsu ScanSnap and the problem is solved. There are several different models of ScanSnap. I've got the iX500 and I love it. It's a duplex scanner, which means it scans both the front and the back side of the pages as you feed them through, and it feeds them through fast. It's got that great Fujitsu software that automatically performs the optical character recognition. And I love the way you can just open it up, put your paper in, press the blue button, and then it's made digital forever. Fujitsu's come a long way in the last few years to add ways to connect the Fujitsu scan snaps. You can connect it wirelessly through Wi-Fi. You can connect it directly with a cable, or you can even save it up to the Fujitsu scan snap cloud. All of these ways work great. But getting back to my original point, the best thing about the scan snap is the way it allows you to get piles of paper out of your life. As an example, I got sent some books for my continuing legal education. It was like 800 pages. And in the process of about, I guess, 45 minutes, I was kind of scanning the pages in the background. I turned this big book into a nice PDF file on my Mac that I can load on my iPad and take anywhere with me. And afterwards, I took those 800 pages and I got rid of them. Digital documents don't only take up less space in your life, they're also just better. You can make copies of them, you can index them, you can search them. I love having all of my major documents in PDF form on my iPad properly indexed. It just pushes those buttons inside of me. So get yourself your own Fujitsu ScanSnap. Head over to budurl.me slash SSMPU, and that'll let them know you came from the Mac Power Users. If you get one some other way, send them a note with social media and let them know you heard about it here. No matter how you go about it, get that paper out of your life today with a Fujitsu ScanSnap. Hey, Katie, before we get into some more of our iPad workflows, can I just take a minute to talk about um, the multi-pad lifestyle? Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, you know, it's a term of art. I, I think it's cute. Mike and uh, Federico always call their multi-pads because I have two iPads. Um, I thought it would be good because it, it, it's been on the back of my mind as I've been talking through some of my workflows. You know, how has the multi-pad lifestyle evolved for me? And um, since this is the show about iOS workflows, it doesn't get better, right? Uh, so I bought the original 12.9-inch iPad Pro when it first came out. 
and it's a gorgeous iPad, big screen. Uh, and then when the 10.51 came out a year and a half later, I bought that one too. So I, I, I have two iPads, um, two iPad Pros. So I bought the Elevation Lab uh, Surface, and it's a metal plate that's got three different risers on it so you can set the height. And I keep this to the right of my keyboard and my trackpad on my desk all day. You know, So I'm sitting at my big 27-inch iMac. At the 12.9-inch iPad, almost exclusively these days, resides on my desk on the Surface. And because I have so many workflows I do on the iPad, uh, even when I'm sitting on my Mac, I can always just drag it in front of me. And uh, I've got this nice big screen iPad. It's like a big screen iPad to go with my big screen Mac. And I really like this. And then I use the 10.5 for everything else. If I'm going out to Starbucks, I take the 10.5. And and some people say they don't like the 10.5 because they can't multitask on it appropriately. I have no problem doing it. Uh, you do get a uh, iPhone size app on the right side with the 10.5, whereas you get a an iPad size app on the right side with the um with the 12.9 but that doesn't bother me i can do just about anything on that smaller one too but having this um little aged uh, ipad big ipad pro on my right side of the desk i use all day i keep the pencil right at the base of the surface and, and in fact if you buy this um surface stand it comes with a little pencil holder i don't actually use it but uh it, it's just really great having it to the right of me and uh, a lot of the workflows i do um during the day i just look over to my iPad and do it and just keep going. Are you travel like when you when you go does the does the big iPad the thir- the 13 inch iPad the 12.9 inch iPad does it leave the house with you regularly or is that when you take the 10.5 out does the 10 Yeah, at this point I just I just the the 12.9 just really largely stays at my desk next to my, my iMac. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the types of things you're doing on the 12.9 versus the 10 10.5 and and when you move to both like are the are the setups on the 10.5 and the 12.9 identical like if i looked at those ipads would they have the same home screen the same apps uh nearly identical i mean i don't spend a bunch of time making sure they're app for app identical and there's a couple apps that i use in conjunction with the mac like um the um uh, the app that displays the screen that's my do it display uh, yeah, Duet Display. That's on the 12.9. It's not on the 10.5. Um, so there's a couple apps that stay on the 12.9 that don't go on the other one. But, you know, the, my bread and butter apps, OmniFocus, email, you know, Ulysses, the stuff I get work done, it's on both both devices. Uh, I know uh, Gray and Mike have these theories where they use different contexts on different iPads. So one is the writing iPad and one is the email iPad. I don't do that. I, I do all the work on all the devices. So it just it it more so has to do with your location and what you're doing than it has to do with the actual iPad. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yeah, I mean, just getting like the panniers on the side of my bike are only so big, and you know, putting the ten point five in and on my bike is a lot easier to carry to to Starbucks than the bigger one is. And like even like when I went to Europe, I took the ten point five and I got by fine for you know ten days without having my big iPad in front of me. It's got all the same workflows. I mean, I can do everything on one that I can do on the other, but uh, because I have this extra one, the resale value, I mean, if I were to sell it, it's not going to get me that much money at this point. And it's super useful to have an iPad right next to me as I sit in front of my Mac. And the bigger the screen, the better for this use. All right. So the the 12.9 is is really your your side display. It's really your secondary display for your Mac. Even if it's not 
actually displaying what's on your Mac. It's not truly a secondary display. It's it's really more a second display for you to pull up data on. Is that kind of what I'm getting on? I would say it's my vehicle to do all these great workflows we're talking about this show while I'm sitting in front of my iMac, because that's where I spend the vast majority of my time working. Do you really more so have this 12.9 inch iPad because you have it, because you bought it first and then you got the 10.5? If if they come in out at identical times or if you had bought the 10.5 first, do you do you feel like you need to have the 12.9 at this point or uh, you know what I probably I was thinking what would happen if the 10, 12.9 got run over by a truck tomorrow Yeah yeah I mean if if you dropped it if it fell if it fell off your desk and crashed to the ground uh, I mean I know you have it so it's like well it's not it's not worth enough for me to sell it or replace it or do any of those those but but if you got to the point where I mean is it is it to the point where you would where you would go out and get another one Probably not. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'd have to face the scenario. But I mean, the, the big screen is really nice. The keyboard is better on the big one. But I think I probably would not replace it if it if it were like, like, for instance, this year, they came out with a new 12.9 and a new 10.5. I was not tempted at all to buy a second 12.9. You know what I mean? I, I wasn't tempted to replace the old one. And and I'll keep this old one probably next year when they have upgrades. i probably won't be tempted to upgrade again because the stuff I'm doing on this, I mean, this is the whole problem with the iPad. It works for years and years. That's why nobody's upgrading them, right? Exactly. Exactly. But the, you know, the apps I use on this, uh, you know, largely work fine. Uh, I can't tell really much of a performance difference at all between the year and a half old iPod Pro and the six month old, you know, 10.5 inch iPad Pro. Uh, the screen definitely looks better on the other one. But but the, the result of this is the days that I work hard at my desk, I barely touch the 10.5 at all. Maybe I'll read something in bed before I go to bed. I keep that one on the nightstand. But on the days that I'm out meeting with clients and getting work done or going to Starbucks or, you know, doing whatever, uh, I use the 10.5 all day. I think that I think that makes more sense. So you are really more of a multi iPad lifestyle out of convenience than than truly using multiple life, uh, multiple iPads for multiple different tasks, I guess. Is what it sounds like. I've always been in favor of being able to do my work anywhere. So if I have two iPads, I want my main apps on both iPads. I get I, I, I get the, the kind of the productivity philosophy behind the idea of saying, this is my writing iPad. So when I turn this thing on, my brain looks at it and there's only my writing apps available to me. And that's where, you know, I get that. But that's something that I've never felt I personally needed. It's just like the people who turn off their internet for two hours because they're afraid they're going to go on Facebook. Um, I just don't go on Facebook. You know, I, I'm good. That's I have a lot of failings. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to put myself above anybody. But uh, that's just not one of mine. When I want to get work done, I can turn everything else off in my brain. I don't need to force it through software. All right. Well, I want to change topics a little bit and I want to talk about project management. And this is one where you're going to have to tell me about it because I actually don't have any project management apps. Yeah, I am. I've gone really deep on this the last six months or so as I continue to try and get my life more under control. Um, OmniPlan has always been a great project management app for me, but I use it in a weird way. I um, 
I don't have a team of 20 people. You know, OmniPlan, you could build a, you know, you could build a Disneyland park with OmniPlan. It's just got, it's super powerful, but I use it more limited and I use it in a lot of ways as marketing with clients. You know, I put together plans to show when I make a promise to do something, what the schedule is and how it works. OmniPlan makes these great Gantt charts that you can adjust as things change. Super useful for litigation if you're an attorney, but I even find it on some of my larger transactions useful. Um, so I've always done it that way. I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of team members I shared it with, um, but I still use it in that way. And the good news is OmniPlan for iPad has come so far that I make those on the iPad now. I don't make them on the Mac anymore. Uh, so that's great. Um, but it's kind of, it's not really project management, um, but project management for me uh, in the last, like I said, six months or so has really evolved a Trello. And we, we've been mentioning this one on the show quite a, a few times. We probably need to give it our full attention at some point because it's so useful. But Trello is an application. It's a web-based project management application. And um, I pay the subscription. I believe it's $50 for a year to get some additional features. And I have people that work for me now. That's another thing we have to talk about on the show someday. This is kind of a, a shallow dive through this stuff on this show uh, like I said, I think this is a good w- jumping off point if people want to go deeper, but I've got people who help me with, you know, the monthly newsletter at Max Sparky and help me get the bills out for the law practice and help me with some of the corporate formation stuff. So I've got different projects in my life where I've identified there are pieces of it that don't need my direct involvement. And I've been slowly finding people to take on those things. Um, as opposed to hiring one person to do everything, I'm finding one person for each task who's particularly suited to that task. And I had to find a way to manage all that. So when I send the, you know, the, some of the newsletter stuff to Leilani, how am I going to know if she gets it done? And I, I use OmniFocus, but I don't want to force it on everybody else on the team. And it's really not made for that type of management anyway. And um, Trello is what I found worked because Trello has a series of cards. So you can make a card for each kind of repeating project you do. And then you have the people sign into it and then you can create copies of that card. And then everybody within that card can communicate with each other. There's like a, a platform for sending messages to each other. You can add task lists within that. You can even attach files. And Trello just really ticks all the boxes for me. It's it's not that hard to use. So whenever I bring other people into the Max Sparky empire, for lack of a better word, um, it's not that hard for them to pick it up. And like, if I need to give them a file to work on, I can just copy it to Trello rather than emailing it to them. And I've got a, an auditable path of everything that's been sent back and forth and what's been said on each project. And when I'm done with the project, I can archive it and it goes away. So forgive my ignorance. Um, it, you said Trello is like $50 a year. Now, is that for everyone in the Max Sparky empire? So Max Sparky pays $50 a year and then all of your people get access to Trello? Yeah, and that was like six months ago, so I don't even know if that's still the price. Right, but I'm just saying you, it's not it's not it's not a per seat type license. No, no, it's just I pay it, and okay. and they and I invite them into my company in essence, and they don't they don't have to pay. And so then what you do is you set up projects in there, like for example, the the newsletter is something that you do repeatedly, so you probably have a template set up for that project. And that that has multiple steps, and so you say, okay, I'm going to assign this project to this person. Um, and then these are the various steps that need to be. So you've probably obviously done the newsletter several times. So you've just mapped out. These are all the steps that have to be done for the newsletter to go out. And then you assign those steps to those people. Some of them may be tasks that are assigned to you because you may do the final step. I don't know. Some of them may be tasks that are assigned to other people. 
Exactly. And then, okay. And then it you just sets dates out. Okay. Yeah. And it's web-based and it has drag and drop. They've got a Mac app now, which is great, but the web app works great too. And I guess relevant to this show, they've got a great iOS app. So I go in that thing on iOS all the time. Like I'll, one of, I've got a Mac Sparky kind of general one. And when I've really got my act together, sometimes I'll write four or five posts over the weekend and just upload that text from Ulysses on my iPad to Trello on my iPad and assign that to the person that helps me get posts up. I actually have a person that has the authority to put posts up for me. So uh, when I'm traveling, I can make sure tumbleweeds don't blow through my website. And, you know, the, the first step, you know, every word that appears on my website, I write. So I write it, but then I, I assign it through a Trello card to somebody else who formats it, does the grammar check, attaches the image if there's an image, and gets everything kind of up on the website. And I don't have to do that part. And, and all that works on iPad. It works on the iPad just as this one isn't better on the iPad, but it's just as easy on the iPad as it is on the Mac. So, uh, you know, this is, you know, getting my work done with project management. So you use it really for two separate purposes. One is for truly managing projects and managing people. And the other is kind of for um, setting up projects and displaying that to your clients to show them this, this is how the anticipated way of something we expect to go is. Yeah. It's, it's really hard for people, you know, to sometimes understand something they haven't done. Like you're going to purchase a company. Uh, I'll put my lawyer hat on for a minute. Sometimes I have a client that wants to purchase a company. There are so many steps involved and, you know, there's due diligence and there's contract generation. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of stuff that happens and, and clients don't really understand that. They're like, I just want to buy the company. And so I have these Omni plans I've developed over the years for different types of big transactions I do with the estimated times. And I give that to the client. You know, I, I, I customize it and prepare it, you know, based on what I know about the anticipated transaction. And then I send it out of Omni plan as a PDF and just send it to them. And then they've got something on their desk they can look at where they really understand. It just, it's a really great way to communicate something that somebody doesn't do every day. So they can kind of be on the same page with you. So when I say, okay, we're delayed on this problem, they can look at the Omni plan and see what, how that affects everything. And it helps them kind of help push the thing along, but it also helps them understand when things get delayed that, you know, it's not necessarily my fault. It's something that we just, you know, or anybody's fault. Sometimes it's just something that happened and now we've got to adjust the plan. And with OmniPlan, I can make those adjustments and send them an updated version of the timeline. And largely I stick to them. So everybody's pretty happy with that. But that's not really project management, but it is a type of project management I do on the iPad. Let's talk a little bit about collaboration. Uh, you and I, for years, have long, have used um, the Google suite of projects to collaborate on the podcast. And then when we joined the the Relay Network, uh, we've been we've been using Slack. So those are two ways that I do collaboration quite a bit on the on the iPad. And I guess let's maybe start with Google because Google doesn't have the best reputation for um, let's just say their iPad apps. With good reason, frankly. I mean, I, I think the Google apps are, are in a lot of ways kind of terrible. They they don't properly use drag and drop. It took them forever to get split screen, which has made me nuts because I like to get this work done. One of the most common things I do in Google documents is I work on these outlines for these shows. And for so long, having to go to a different screen, like I'll be doing research 
And why can't I just type into Google Docs while I'm looking at the research for up until fairly recently, I couldn't. And and now I can, which is great. But, you know, and just as a word processor, it's it's really kind of janky. It it has issues. But the thing it does is it always works with synchronization. And that's why I put it under the collaboration tab, because uh, for two people working on one document at the same time, it's just there's just nothing like it. I I was at a conference recently and, and met some of the the folks working on the iWork suite. And, you know, they're like, hey, can you collaborate with us? How's it going? And I gave them a whole bunch of feedback on what worked and didn't work. But I said, the bottom line is, you know, it's just got to get to the same level as Google, where you type something and it just shows up on the other screen. Did, did you say, Katie, let me try that once and now we won't, she won't even talk to no, me about it anymore? No. <laughs> no. And, and honestly, we've tried it more and I've tried it with Brett when we did the book. And we, we, everybody's always trying this stuff. And, and to be fair... Google's kind of cheating a little bit because everything they do is so web-based, you know, whereas the focus of the apps Apple makes are native apps, you know, native apps for the device. And the word processing on pages is heads and shoulders above what Google Docs is. But the engine, the underlying engine and ability to access that collaboration data is just so much better with Google. And um, I, I just uh, recent last month I posted over at Max Sparky, you know, it feels like the cloud syncing problem is largely solved, but I feel like the next big thing we need to figure out is collaboration because Google should not be the only answer for this stuff. I mean, a lot of the, in a lot of ways, their apps are trashy and how come we have to use them because they're the only one game in town in a lot of ways. And I really hope in the next couple of years, that's no longer the case. But for now, uh, I use a Google suite all the time and uh, every episode of Mac Power Users and free agents and even some of the stuff I do with clients relies on Google Docs. Yeah, it, it seems like Google eventually gets there, but they're consistently a year behind in implementing all of the iOS latest and greatest. And I can't help but wonder and also be a little nervous as to whether that has to do with the fact that Google and Apple are fundamentally competitors now and and whether Google is intentionally dragging their feet on this or whether it used to be that Google used to get inside information and, and heads up on things and now they don't. Or just they don't care that much. I, I kind of feel like that's it. Or or maybe maybe the problem is that the app is so focused on synchronization of data that it can't focus on the things that are normally important for those types of apps. I don't know. Well, and it could also be that it's it's built so differently from other iOS apps because it's it's built to be a Google app that whereas if you would just use the Apple APIs and the Apple way of building things, it would be fairly simple to implement. And now it's not, you know, because Google wants to build it once for for all of their various platforms. But you know, that that's not necessarily how these things work. I will also tell you, um, I get nervous kind of about these, these wars that Google has. You you can uh, kind of see at the end of last year, Google and Amazon went at it. And I don't know who the instigator was there or why. Um, and ultimately the loser in those types of things are the consumers. You know, Google and Amazon had some kind of issue and Google started pulling. I, I'm not sure if it's ultimately resolved completely at this point, but um, Google pulled, you know, YouTube off the Amazon show, which was a big feature of that. And then they were threatening to pull YouTube off the Fire TV stick. I'm not sure whether they ultimately worked things out or or ultimately, um, you know, reached some kind of stalemate with that. And then Amazon said, well, we're not going to th- sell any Google products on our store. It it just it just got very nasty. And 
I, I don't think that Apple and Google are there yet because it's kind of a mutually assured annihilation. I mean, I think Google needs Apple because Apple brings a ton of customers uh, to their various platforms, but it does make me nervous. Well, and that's why I don't like having it as really the only practical solution for collaboration. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by 1Password. You can learn more and receive an exclusive discount by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU. So did you get to spend some quality time with your family this holiday season? Maybe a little time troubleshooting all of their various tech woes? And did you find out just how bad your family's password practices were? Well, it's time to get your family on board with 1Password, and there's never been an easier time to do that than with 1Password for Families. 1Password is the easiest and safest way for your family to share passwords, credit cards, and any other information that's too important to email. And it helps your family practice smart online security by generating strong, unique passwords for all of your various accounts. And 1Password remembers everything for you and keeps it safe automatically, allowing you to sign in to all of your favorite websites with just one click. And as the family administrator, you get to decide who you share your information with and what they can do with it. So maybe everyone gets access to the Netflix password, but only certain people in your family get access to the bank account passwords because you know that not everything needs to be shared with the whole family. So with 1Password for Families, everyone can have their personal vaults to help them keep their own information private, and you can also share information as well, too. With 1Password for Families, you get protection for up to five people. This includes access to all of the award-winning 1Password apps, no matter what platform they happen to be on, whether it's Mac, iOS, Windows, and Android. And you know that they always have the most up-to-date versions of 1Passwords and get all of the latest, greatest features as soon as they come out. 1Password also gives each family one gigabyte of encrypted storage for documents, which you can share and access securely from anywhere. And of course, this includes all of the hallmark features like seamless sync, item backup history, 1Password's watchtower service, and their award-winning 24-7 support. So let this be the year that your family gets their affairs in order with 1Password. Learn more by heading over to onepassword.com slash MPU. And thanks, 1Password, for your continued support of Mac Power users. Uh, a second half of this collaboration talk is, you know, getting work done uh, with a group, you know, just sharing information. And for me... In the last couple of years, Slack has completely taken up that space. I think that's interesting because I have always, you and I use Slack as a method to collaborate. I have always seen it more as a, a social water cooler, but it definitely can, can be a place where people get work done. Uh, I think we, we heard about how the Mac Stories team uses Slack extensively um, with a lot of automation and bots. And Stephen Hackett was even talking a little bit about how he and Mike use Slack with with bots and to pull information in uh, with with their business. And you and I have actually taken a lot of our communication now onto Slack. We've kind of reached this agreement with each other that um, anything, if it's really urgent, we'll text message. If it's just general information, we'll we'll put it in Slack. And we really don't communicate by email unless we have to, you know, forward other you know blocks of information. And that that has worked well for us. Yeah, and I, I use it for a lot more than that. I mean, like on Relay, the Relay Slack is where I run kind of the podcast business. All the communications I have with Mike and Steven concerning the business um, happen there. 
Uh, but even like on my legal side, I've got some very tech savvy clients, obviously, you know, Max Barkey, they find me, right? But the, um, but I've got several clients where we have Slack, they have Slack's channels in their company and they have private rooms that I've been added to. And sometimes we'll have like, I have one client where we have a separate Slack channel for every contract we work on. We work on a lot of big contracts together. And then we've got this kind of record of communications on it and all the relevant people are there and it saves a ton of email. I, um, you know, I do it. I use Slack. I'm in the process. I haven't really said anything about this because I, I don't know if it's actually going to happen or not. But me and a few listeners of the show and uh, people have been guests on the show, we're putting together a virtual band, Katie. It's oh, kind of fun. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. But the um, are you going to release an album? I don't know. Probably not. But we'll probably release some songs. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, Victor Callejo was on our show and talked about how he basically released his album now with everybody doing their own little piece and sending it to him. Yeah. Well, that's what we're doing. But in this case, everybody in the band is more talented than I am. So I'm not exactly sure how it all plays out, <laughs> but the, we may not, may not do anything that I'd want to share, but the, uh, it'll be fun anyway, but we have a Slack, we've built a Slack room for that. And we've got a Slack room for each song we're working on where we're figuring things out. And so I've got like, about 10 different Slack channels that I'm a member of. And and some of it is the water cooler stuff, but some of it is actually where work is getting done. And it's it's just a great collaboration. I also have a Slack channel for, you know, I talked earlier that I have this team of people kind of helping me out now. And we've got a Max Sparky Slack that, you know, it's only got four people in it currently, but hopefully by next year, I'll have a few more people in there that are helping me out with certain things. And it's a great way to communicate and kind of get things across that is way more efficient than email in a lot of ways. Now, I since we're talking about Slack, because we get emails and tweets all the time, I personally think that Slack works best with smaller groups. And I, I think the group can still be, you know, in the 20s or the teens and, and still work in Slack. But I have never seen, I, I've always found that the bigger a Slack group gets, the the more noise it gets, the less efficient it gets, the less productive it gets. And I have never been a fan of huge Slack groups. So Inevitably, anytime we talk about Slack, we get people talking about, hey, why don't you create a Mac Power User Slack group instead of the Facebook group? Because there are a lot of people who don't like Facebook group book. Um, so I just want to take this moment to say uh, we are not doing that. Sorry. It's it's just it would be too unwieldy to to manage and um, I, just not something that's going to happen. And, and I'll tell you, a cranky guy like me who's not a big Facebook fan, I like using Facebook Facebook for the uh, Mac Power Users group. It's a really nice group of people. I was in there. Uh, I'm in there all the time. So go check it out. Um, you want to move on? Yeah. No, let's uh, let's talk about uh, what, what. Oh, you like to talk about. Um, let's talk about outlining and mind mapping. Yeah, uh, What I called it in the outline for the show, which Katie didn't want to share, was thinking. Thinking, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Think, you know, thinking. I do a lot of thinking with my iPad, and the um, the two apps by far for this are MindNode Five Version Five is out now, and Omni Outliner. By the way, I did the screencast for Version Five, so you can I go watch that if you want to learn about it. But the um, I I really believe, and we did a show on this. One of my favorite Mac Power episodes, Cooking Ideas. Yeah, I was trying. I was trying to come up with that off the top of my head, but I couldn't at the moment. I was trying to. I was trying to come up with something clever, like let's talk about how you cook ideas on the iPad. But yeah, okay. so it goes back a while. But the concept is not that difficult, really. You know, um, uh, I feel like the way my you know, I talked earlier about how smart I am that I can work without turning the internet off. But the other thing I can't do is come up with great ideas on the drop of a hat, which some people can, and makes me super jealous. 
Uh, but what I do is I will cook an idea. So if someone says, I need you to speak at this conference, I will start a mind node mind map on it months before and I'll start outlining it and then I'll just go in it every once in a while and let my subconscious brain kind of cook on it and then add things to it. And every book I've written, every presentation I've given, um, a lot of the longer posts I've written, even legal correspondence and contracts I've written have gone through this process. And uh, if you're a left brain person or right brain person, I, I guess those aren't even supposed to be true anymore. I don't know. I read recently that that's all nonsense. But the um, if you like outlines or if you like uh, mind maps, uh, there's two different options here, Omni Outliner or MindNode Pro. Um, and the um, either one gives you a really great way to just tap into uh, an idea or a project for a little while, make a couple changes and then tap out. And And both of these applications have great syncing solutions where uh, you can get your data on your Mac, your iPad, or your iPhone. So no matter where you are in the world, you can you can step into that. Um, the, the apps I use for that, like I said, are MindNode and Omni Outliner. Yeah, and as we've talked about before, I, I still buy the right brain, left brain thing. In fact, I think my left brain has eaten my right brain. But um, I'm a big outliner. I That's the way my mind works. That's the way that I think through all these things. And Omni Outliner is, is the tool that, that I use for that. Yeah, like you and I are going to be speaking together in March, and I've already started the MindNode for that. And I have disregarded your MindNode and started an outline in a shared Google Doc. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but the um, but I find that a very useful workflow for me, and it's something that is uniquely iPad. You know, when I talk about the iPad I keep next to my iMac, even though I have MindNode on my Mac, for some reason the process of using my fingers to move the ideas around the screen in my node, I think it just works with my brain better. And I've got the iPad sitting right here. So I just turn my chair to the right and start working on the iPad on something like that. And, um, and I love it. I, and if I have my 10.5 inch iPad and I'm downstairs on the couch or sitting in a waiting room at a client's office or whatever, um, I can do it just as easily on that one. What about calendars? Um, I tend to use calendars more on my iPhone, but I think there is a place for longer term planning with calendars on an iPad. And um, Fantastical is the one that we talk about frequently, but I also use BusyCal quite a bit on my iPad. Yeah, I think those are the two best, you know, Fantastical and BusyCal. And I think they're both probably better than the the native ones. Yeah, I, I think they definitely are both better than the native iPad app. But I do find, um, just like I was, it does relate in some ways to like cooking ideas, like cooking a week. So at some point, usually on a weekend, I will open my iPad into the week view of whichever calendar app I'm using and just look at it, my time in blocks. And then I also can at the same time look at, you know, what's the big stuff in OmniFocus and, you know, what's going on in my life right now. And I will block time on the iPad, uh, which is very easy to do and another thing that lends itself to your fingers uh you know just typing with your fingers and and doing that and getting doing it from somewhere other than your desk is kind of nice uh, another way i use it sometimes is i will keep it open in this case it, the ipad truly acts as a second screen i'll open my calendar app on my 12.9 inch ipad while i'm on the phone and talking to somebody and i've got a bunch of other stuff up on on the screen like a a typical call for me with a client will have a a PDF open an Apple notes file where I'm taking notes in my calendar over on my iPad. So I can have everything working for me at once. 
I tend to use the different calendars for different purposes. So I, I tend to use Fantastical more often for me when I'm scheduling for me and just taking a look at my schedule. Um, but I have a shared office space that I share with other people. So I have to share a, a conference room. And so we have a shared calendar through Exchange, which um, uh, Fantastical doesn't do as good of a job with, but, but BusyCal has always done that. And so when I'm looking at other people in my office's calendar and needing to see who's going to be where, who's going to be when, when is the conference room available, when's a good time to bring clients in, I've got all that information preloaded up in BusyCal and so I've just got it easy to pop open when I'm scheduling something because I don't necessarily want to see all that clutter in my calendar all the time, but I can pop it open into BusyCal, check the calendar, check the schedule, make whatever appointments I need to make, and then have it there when I need it, but not when I don't. Yeah, these apps aren't that expensive. If if you find even just one feature that you use every day in one of them, there's no, that doesn't mean you can't use the other ones. So you know, get, get whatever you need. All right. The next next subject is the one that you don't like me to talk about that much. Uh, no, I, I I just feel like we talk about it all the time, but that's okay. Writing, writing, writing. Yeah, you you use the iPad quite a bit for writing. Yeah. This I, I thought what you know, um, and I I will not drag this out unnecessarily, gang. But I just wanted to talk through my current workflows for writing because they've really changed over the last year. Um, the uh, the first thing is I do quite write quite a bit on the iPad. Um, Ulysses has taken over as my day-to-day driver. I used to use Byword a lot, and I for a while I was using Apple Notes, and I was using Barra. I've been going through all these different apps, but Ulysses I've really settled on. In addition to being a text bank for me, so it holds a lot of like previously written things that I can reuse as a lawyer, um, it's the place that I've got all the text I have where I'm working on my current books and even a, a few books in the future that I have already taken some notes for. It's just the place that all my words go into, and I've come to rely on it. it the iCloud Sync is great, so I can be on any device and work on it. Um, when we were in Europe, we visited the bookshop where um, Hemingway um, wrote a bunch of his books. So I actually pulled out my iPhone and wrote a couple paragraphs um, for my current book in that bookshop because I just wanted to have written something in that bookshop, <laughs> but it's, it's going into a book and I, you know, it was in Ulysses. I did it with my phone. So there you go. Um, but the, uh, so, um, uh, you know, it, it's just a really great app for me. It's not for everybody. Um, Scrivener is the, the kind of the one you look at in comparison. Scrivener does a much better job of handling attachments and like other resources. Like if I'm working on a legal brief where I need to see a bunch of PDFs and web pages, I do those in Scrivener. And Scrivener is now awesome and on the iPad as well. And it syncs as well. So, uh, you know, the old days where none of the stuff worked are over. And you have, not only do you have multiple choices, you have multiple great choices. But but these days I'm doing most of the writing in Ulysses because most of the writing I'm doing doesn't need a lot of attachments. It's just me getting words out of my brain. And it's really great for that. Um, and then I have like kind of writing support applications. I do type a lot with the uh, magic keyboard. I think it's fine. Works for me. I love the magic keyboard on the, wait, the, are you, do you mean the magic keyboard? I, magic I mean case. the, I, I mean the smart keyboard. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I yeah. misspoke. Apple, Apple and all their names. Yes. Yeah, I know. The keyboard that folds up into a cover. It's great. Um, I, I do type a lot of these words using that. Uh, but I also do a lot of dictation. Um, uh, a lot of times in the morning, I take a walk every morning when I can. I stop in the park and I'll just open my phone and dictate some some words for a book or for 
um, an article at Max Sparky, and I just use Dragon Anywhere for that. That's a controversial choice. I always get, I always hear from listeners when I talk about it because it's fifteen dollars a month, but um, but it's it does a much better job of dictation than built-in Siri dictation. It keeps custom words and it allows me to dictate without stopping because Siri stops after three or four sentence. And I have to start over again. So it, it, for that, it pays for itself for me because I use it so often. So that's kind of a writing support app I use a lot these days. Um, we talked a few weeks ago about the Grammarly iOS app kind of at length. Um, I'm still not totally sold on it, um, but they've got a keyboard. So so Grammarly is a really good grammar checking service that I use on the Mac. This is one that frankly is better on the Mac than it is on iOS for me. It is, but I I love the service. It's, it's really made me... Um, much, I've gotten a lot fewer emails from people saying, uh, you have a typo in your blog. Yeah. Uh, but something you can do on your iPad, if you, if you're a Grammarly fan, uh, you can get the iCab browser, I-C-A-B, and you can make it look like you're coming from a Mac and then you can do it on their online portal through your Mac in quotes. Uh, but that's a lot of work. I, at this point, I just use the keyboard and it's okay but I feel like it's easier on the Mac. But I use that as a support app on my Mac. I, I, I hope at some point they additionally come out with an application. Um, the uh, So that's where I do most of my writing. Then like word processing, I use Word and Pages all the time as a lawyer. Uh, I use Word almost, ex- when, I almost never use Word for anything except the lawyer work I do. Um, but but Pages gets used across all the different jobs I have. Um, what about you? What are you doing your writing in these days? So my writing workflows have not changed in years. And I think that's mainly because I've taken approach of if it ain't broken, don't fix it. Uh, I still extensively use ByWord, both on the Mac and iOS. And if I'm I'm just writing words for me, um, that is where they go. They go in ByWord. And then from there, I can send them to Evernote or I can... Uh, send them to an email or or do something else with them. But, you know, ByWord is one of those tried and true apps. Um, it, it gets updated when it needs an update, but it hasn't gotten any significant feature updates lately because I think it's pretty much feature complete. But I write all my blog posts in ByWord. I take notes in ByWord. Uh, I do all of those types of things in ByWord. And so um, that's what I am still using primarily to write my words because it syncs with iCloud and with Dropbox and I can put them wherever I need to. The, the other thing that I will use is um, Microsoft Word, again, for all the lawyerly stuff when I need to, because that's that's where all the lawyerly stuff goes is in Microsoft Word. It's got some limitations on the iPad. We'll talk about that later. But but I, I get a lot of that. The other thing I would talk about in the writing workflows, because I hear people email me this question all the time is they want to know my workflow for posting to Max Sparky. Um, it's, uh, I, I use the Squarespace um you know, blogging platform, uh, they allow you to use Markdown or rich text or plain text. I actually use their rich text because for the longest time, their Markdown wasn't all that great. So I developed these workflows for rich text and they, they work. So I just use them. So I write the posts actually in Markdown in Ulysses and I export them as rich text. And then I paste them into the um, Squarespace blogging platform um, system and I post from there. It's it's a very simple workflow. When I tell people, they're like, whoa, I thought it was going to be a lot more difficult than that. I'm like, nope, it's not. And um, and then when I do it through Trello, I send a, a rich text file. I save a rich text file to Trello 
in the project that I've got for them to post the post for me. So they've got it in rich text on their computer and they can paste it in. So it's really simple. I mean, my, my blogging, I don't need a fancy system, but before, you know, just to, to, to clear, be clear, before it leaves Ulysses, it's gone through Grammarly and it's gone, you know, it's gone through various things have happened. But but the actual process of blocking for me is quite simple because Squarespace makes it pretty simple. Yeah, I I have the exact same workflow with with what I need to do, so I don't I don't worry about it. I just I just send it as rich text, and it's it's a pretty easy keyboard command to to copy the rich text out of the Markdown and just paste it in. That's that's what I do. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Enter code MPU at checkout to save ten percent off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. So maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has you covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. And they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautiful designed for you to show off your greatest ideas. I've been using Squarespace for some time now on my personal website, and I've probably built another half-dozen Squarespace sites for various organizations that I'm a member of. It's just so easy to create a Squarespace site. There's no reason that your organization shouldn't have a website. So if you're a member of an organization that doesn't have a web presence, or worse yet, has a bad web presence, you may want to check out Squarespace and start creating one today. Best off, you can then create the site and hand it over to someone else to maintain because it's that easy. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit required by going over to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Mac Power users. Thank you to Squarespace for their kind support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. All right, so we are not going to get through all this stuff appropriately without just racing through it. I don't want to do that. So why don't we... um just talk about where it falls down and just save the stuff for maybe a future show. <laughs> I'm sure we'll have even more then, but so let's, let's talk about a little bit about where the iPad still falls down for me. Uh, and me probably be, because I think it falls down in more places for me than it does for you. The, the big places where the iPad still falls down for me is the lack of a true finder. Uh, the, the files app has, has definitely made things better but it's still not a replacement for the Finder, and I think particularly so when using Dropbox rather than iCloud. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, it's. I guess it depends what you want to do. I I feel like that is not. I, I think that is a limitation, but it's not nearly the limitation it used to be. Uh, because for the general stuff you do with Finder in terms of managing files, which you would do on a simplified operating system like iOS, it's it's fine. So I'd give you a little pushback on that, but I also agree. You're right. It's not a true finder. Um, for me, one of the big limitations of the iPad is uh, background automation. You know, Hazel, Keyboard Maestro, that kind of stuff uh, just doesn't work on iPad. It, it's strange to me that, in contrast, Workflow has given me some tools that I don't really have on the Mac. I guess they, I could kind of have them on the Mac with Keyboard Maestro, but not as easily. 
but but that background automation thing is one of the reasons why I don't see myself ever becoming a Federico Vitici and a guy that just uses an iPad and nothing else. The the other place I would say where it falls down is in multitasking, there being inconsistency still, and the fact that it's really not a true replacement for multi-windows. Uh, multitasking inconsistency for me, I think, has gotten a lot worse with the release of the iPhone ten particularly because a lot of the gestures that we use are very different. And I, I can't seem to wrap my head around the idea of, well, Control Center comes, I just got used to the fact that Control Center comes down now on the iPhone. And then I have to remember that again every time I move over to the iPad, that no, no, Control Center now is up on the iPad as opposed to, to swiping down. So there's a, a lot of inconsistency with the way that the, um, the OS works now. But also with multitasking, again, try explaining multitasking to someone who is a, a novice iPad user, remembering when is an app paired, when does an app stay paired, when does something work in split view versus just slide over view, how, how do I quickly dismiss an app? Because sometimes I'm sitting here trying to swipe an app away, and I just can't get the darn thing to move away. Um, I, I still am finding a lot of inconsistency with that. Yeah, and I would definitely agree with you that this isn't for everyone. And when Apple like blinks a commercial saying this is your Mac replacement, you're fine. I don't agree. I think for a lot of people, uh, figuring out this stuff is a little bit of work. Um, I think for a lot of listeners of our show, though, this is absolutely in their grasp. And just spending a little time getting familiar with it can can get you there. Um, uh, another limitation for me is, um, and I guess let me just step back for a second. You know, when the when the iPad first came out, you look at it as three elements. It's the hardware, you know, the, the silicon inside and how fast the chip runs. It's the operating system. And then it's the software on top of the operating system. And I would argue that as we sit here in 2018, that the hardware is is plenty fast and that the operating system is real close to where we need it to be, or at least a lot farther along than it ever has been in the past. But a lot of the limitations I hit now are software based. You know, it's specific problems with applications that I need to work with me a certain way. And um, one, the easiest example for me is iBooks Author. You know, I write books in iBooks Author. Apple does not make a version of iBooks Author for the iPad. So um, if I want to write a book in iPad for the iPad, by the way, in iBooks Author, I need to have a Mac with me. And there's just no way around that problem until they make the app to go across platform. And I'm not sure that'll ever happen. Well, you know, we did get that Mark Gurman rumor at the end of 2012, I'm sorry, in December at the, at the end of the year of 2017, that there's going to be uh, at least going from iOS to the Mac, a little bit easier for iOS developers and in future years to take their apps and put them on the Mac OS. Now I think there are a lot of holes in in what he was reporting, and I think maybe a lot of big picture ideas that have not been fully fleshed out. But I do see us at some point in the future moving towards a future that is more unified between the various app platforms. Yeah, and I and I definitely believe that productivity software is going to get more advanced on iPad as the years go by because because Apple made the hardware so strong and because the operating system got so much more powerful just six months ago, really, um, that it's inevitable that software manufacturers are going to take advantage of that. Um, we talked about Word earlier. Word on the iPad in a lot of ways is superior to Word on the Mac. I think it's in a lot of ways more stable. It's easier to use. 
but they've yanked out a couple features and I'm usually in favor of yanking features, believe me, but they've yanked out a couple of features that I need. Uh, like one of them is, is adjusting styles and uh, that's a drum I've been banging on the show for too long. So I won't go into it at length, but there's certain things I kind of need to do in word that if I'm, you know, it's the reason why I took a MacBook to, on my big trip with me, not because I felt like I needed it every day, but I thought I'd need it three or four times. And if I didn't have it for those three or four times, then I'd be in trouble. I I would say one of the other places that that the iPad still falls down on me is with a crippled web, web browser. Now I know that it's Safari. Yeah, those are, that's kind of a loaded term. Katie. It, it is. It is. It's not crippled. I wouldn't say, but yeah, I get what you're saying. There, uh, more and more apps are going web based. Uh, at least one of the apps that I use for for my practice or several of the apps that I use for my practice is web-based and many of them flat out just don't work in Safari for the iPad. Now I, I know and I implement the, the iCab trick where you can use the iCab as, which is kind of the, what, what are we calling it? The can opener browser or the Jack, Jackknife. What, what is that phrase I'm looking for? It's Jack the, of all uh, trades. Jack of all know. trades browser. Um, it, it's a great tool. It's a tool that I keep on my iPad but but it still doesn't do everything that I need it to do. I, I still find a lot of web pages and a lot of apps that I want to use, or excuse me, a lot of web pages and a lot of web apps that I want to use on the iPad are are crippled and don't work the way that they should. And and a solution to this is in addition to something like iCab is you can, you know, virtually connect to a Mac somewhere, which a lot of people can do. I mean, but all of these, I don't really like to talk about these as solutions because they're so kind of wonky to do something like that. I mean, that if we really want this device to work, it should just work natively on device. All right, Katie, uh, we uh, we had, I guess I bit off more than I can chew with this show outline. <laughs> now, well, that doesn't surprise me, given the given the topic that we're talking about. It's, it's one that you're very passionate about. But the bottom line is, is although we did close this on a, a somewhat down note, where does the iPad fall down? The, the reality is, is there are a lot of places where the iPad doesn't fall down. I will tell you that despite the fact that I am not using the iPad nearly as much for, for productive work as you are, I am using the iPad now more than I ever have and more than I ever thought that I would for productive work. I love my 12.5-inch iPad Pro with the smart keyboard cover, and there are many 10. days. 5. I'm sorry, 10.5, 10.5-inch 10. iPad Pro, and there are many days that I don't come upstairs and touch my Mac. Um, there have been weekends where I come up, don't come upstairs and touch my Mac because I can do everything that I really need to do on my iPad. Now, when I go to work, and I, I will tell you that I tend to sit in front of a Mac all day, but I can do more and more now on the iPad that I ever could, and I, I think that's only going to continue to grow. So what we've got at this point, we've got like six more subjects that we didn't cover in today's outline, and... Um, and I'm sure there's more that we miss. So uh, after the show, send us feedback or better yet, sound off on Twitter or on Facebook and we'll start working. I'm going to take the stuff we didn't cover today and we'll put that into a new outline. Then we'll cover the show in, I don't know, two or three months. And by then we'll have even more stuff to cover and we'll kind of go on with iPad productivity a little bit more and where we're at with it. And let us know what's important to you because maybe uh, you've got a great idea that we missed. All right, David. Well, we do want to thank for uh, our sponsors for this episode, Casper, Fujitsu, 1Password, and Squarespace. And we will see you all next week. Bye.